Hi and welcome to another episode of LifeWords Q&A. Great to have your company. It is our weekly chat about life and faith and uh, how that all plays out seven days a week here on planet earth david ray thanks for joining us again for uh some really interesting questions this week thanks andrew uh, when are they not interesting that's the oh, that's when what i want to say when are they not yes okay so three questions we're going to be looking at the devil anger and hating our parents um it couldn't get much varied uh much more varied if you've got a question uh from previous episodes that you want to maybe a follow-up uh a question on or it's just something that we haven't discussed yet uh please email us your questions at lifewords Sorry, let's try that again. LifeWords at hopemedia.com.au. David, our first question is, uh, can you explain who exactly the devil is? Is he a real person or just a concept, an idea? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know whether I'd want to explain exactly who the devil is because uh, that um, perhaps would be claiming too much. But is he a real person or just as an idea? Uh, just an idea. I have to say, Andrew, that all you can say there is that Jesus seems to speak of him as a real person, not just an idea. Uh, he seems to personify him um, now most opinion is that the devil is a fallen angel a spiritual being who rebelled against god before human history now there's some evidence of that in the bible but not a lot uh, so what i'd say there is that the the explanation of who the devil is and the source of evil and all that sort of thing is somewhat shrouded in mystery or we can say that the Bible seems to suggest from some isolated references that the evil one is a fallen angel who rebelled against God before human history and Jesus sees him as a real entity. But when we say a real person, um, the Bible seems to suggest that he is what we might call a spiritual or an angelic being, not a flesh and blood human being that seems to be the suggestion the question is uh, i've heard him referred to as the prince of this world the prince of this world yes the bible talks about him in terms of the prince of this world uh, the bible talks about him as the ruler of this age um, so what that indicates is a very important thing about the evil one that he has great power that he is it's a bit like this let's say you know I mean, the world is is properly ruled by jesus he is the lord he is the true Lord, but a usurper, an intruder, a rebel has come into the scene. And this rebel has actually set himself up, as it were, on a, on a throne and said, I'm really the boss here. This guy, Jesus, isn't really the boss. I'm the boss and I'm going to cause some havoc and some chaos. And Jesus, meanwhile, this is putting it very crudely, but Jesus, meanwhile, is sitting there, as it were, over and above because he's the supreme power. And he's saying, well, Satan, you're not the real boss, you know. You you think you're the boss, but you're not really the boss. And a whole lot of other people think you're the boss, but you're not really. I am the true boss. I'm the true ruler. And I'm going to, as it were, you know, let you put, as, as it were, put you on a long leash for a while and yes, you will cause havoc, but hey, I am going to work good out of the havoc that you're going to wreak. But one day um, you're in for it because I have conquered you. I've beaten you. But in this stage of human history, you are still active. So he is active, powerful, but not all powerful. It's interesting because he was defeated on the cross 2000 years ago. Yes, he, he, but he, he, he was. But until the kingdom of God, until Jesus returns... He's still around. That's right. When Jesus died on the cross, he, as it were, inaugurated his kingdom, his rule. He said, may my rule begin. But that rule is still 
uh, challenged. Uh, it's not, that's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we jolly well know it's, it, his kingdom hasn't come in fullness. Um, his rule has not, his will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. So, but, so does Jesus rule? Yes. Um, but does he rule absolutely without any challenge or opposition? No. Because, yes, the prince of this world, the ruler of this age, uh, is still roaming around, as it were, um, you know, a, a, a rebel in God's territory. And, and so we might sort of be living in a particular nation of the world where a certain ruler is definitely the legitimate ruler, but there's outlaw. There's an outlaw running around causing havoc, and Satan is like that outlaw. So um, how, as Christians, are we supposed to res- respect or treat him? It's wonderful here that C.S. Lewis, and just a book book plug, if you want to sort of get a good example of how the devil works and how we'd resist him, C.S. Lewis's old book, The Screwtape Letters, is brilliant. And if you can get, like I've got, uh, the narrated version where John Cleese narrates it, it's absolutely okay. brilliant. Um, but 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 Lewis makes this point in his introduction to The Screwtape Letters, we, we can make two equal and opposite errors when we come to the devil. One is that we give him so much attention, we focus on him all the time, we talk about him all the time we worry about him all the time we fear him all the time that's one extreme but the other extreme is we ignore him we dismiss him we don't even think about him and in the christian church we can see people going to one of these Mm. two two extremes on the other hand some of them say satan's been defeated on the cross don't worry about him well, that's a no. You do worry about him because because we're warned in the epistles, the, the the letters to the churches, that we do have to battle against Satan. The war might be won, but the battles still have to be fought. Uh, but on the on, on the other hand, you have people who are saying, "Well, Satan's Satan's absolutely everywhere, and there's demons everywhere, and we must be almost focused on these things." So some Christians are always fighting the enemy rather than serving Jesus. Well, in fact, yes, you serve Jesus, and you must resist um, Satan. But you've got to get the balance right. Satan is powerful, but he's not all powerful. And he's not. Or my understanding, again, this is when you sit under teaching and stuff, you, you, you were told certain stuff, but is Satan a, a person who can only be in one place at a particular time? Yes, he, he's, he's not what we call omnipresent. Uh, only God is able to be everywhere at all times. So so when people, sometimes people do, I think mistakenly say, I saw Satan at the foot of my bed the other night. Well, I'm certainly, <laughs> you could have, but highly unlikely because Satan has not... We attribute too much power to Satan when we say he's everywhere. Now, there is a school of thought within some Christian traditions, and I've got some respect for them, that that says his evil spirits may be revealing themselves. That's quite a different question to what we're talking about now. But his evil spirits may well be abroad on the earth and so on. But even they have limited power, and they are not what we call omnipresent. The Holy Spirit can be everywhere at all times Mm. Um, but we can't say that of satan so it's another reminder yes satan is powerful the bible says that he is prowling around looking for someone to devour so he's dangerous watch him but at the same time as jesus has said i've overcome the world uh, and i've overcome satan so do we respect him as it were as an enemy oh yes we do but at the same time, we are not, as it were, living in utter fear of him. It's a bit like going to the zoo and, and seeing a wild tiger um, in, in, in a cage. Should we be afraid of the tiger? Well, not in the sense that he's caged. But would we go up and shove our hand through the cage? Do, do we treat him as though he doesn't matter at all? Oh, no, 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 no. This tiger is dangerous. Satan is dangerous. 
but we have protection against him. Would you ever uh, pray against him? I, I think you can pray against him in the way that Jesus prayed against him. The evil one, the evil one's job, incidentally, and, and the word Satan means accuser. Yeah. Um, you can imagine the evil one as someone who's pointing the finger at you, wanting to dehumanize you. If you want a picture of what Satan is doing for you and his demons are doing, they are trying to accuse you of not being worthy of God and they're trying to dehumanize you. And and we resist Satan by 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 praying to God um, that 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 we would resist Him, putting on what elsewhere in the Bible is called the armor of God. That is seeking to live a good and godly life, immersing ourselves in the Scripture and in prayer, reminding ourselves as Jesus did when He resisted Satan, that that while Satan may appear to be speaking very plausible truth, in fact the nature of Satan is a liar, and that's what Jesus calls him. He's the father of all all liars, and so whenever he accuses us or or tempts us to do something, he is actually lying. He's not telling the truth. So what we've got to do when we're tempted with the lie is to combat it with the truth. And we get the truth from an earnest study of scripture within the community of the church. And that's where we understand that God doesn't uh, accuse or condemn us. He may convict us. That's right. But he doesn't accuse us. That's right. That's right. So many Christians, it seems to me, uh, appear still condemned. Well, it's Satan's job to condemn. You see, you sin. You might sin badly. Satan is going to point the finger at you and say, you've blown it. Mm. You're a hopeless case. And he crushes you with condemnation. And shame. That's right. Yep. The Holy Spirit says, you sinned. You've blown it. Now, remember the cross of Christ. Remember the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And so conviction is this healthy turning back to Jesus and saying, I've messed it up. Please forgive me. And you will receive the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit and you will, as it were, go on with a spring in your step at, from conviction. But condemnation, you don't go anywhere because you're just in a, in a hole. So so if you're in a hole, in a pit, condemning yourself for your sin, that's Satan. Um, yep. Because Paul says in Romans 8, I think it is, that uh, if Christ is for us, if God is for us, who is against us? And if Jesus has shown he is for us, Satan is the one who is condemning and pointing the finger. Jesus doesn't point the finger. Jesus stretches out his arms and says, come to me. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A. If you've got questions, please, you can email us, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. Thanks for that, David. Uh, really interesting uh, just to sort of get that around and toss that around our heads and just get a concept and an understanding of, uh, of who Satan is and, and his yeah, and what he what he's up to. Our second question is: Is anger ever justified? I get so guilty when I get angry. Anger can be justified. Anger is a funny old thing because so many people seem to think, "Oh, I, I I mustn't be angry. I mustn't be angry." But but in fact, there can be situations in which it is right to be anger angry. I mean, Martin Luther was very angry at the uh, abuses of the church at the time of the Reformation. Uh, and so his anger drove him to do something about it. William Wilberforce was angry at the slave trade. Mm. So he, he, without anger, he would have just sat back and said, oh, well, slave trade, oh, what a, what a pity. But no, anger drove him. Martin Luther King, anger drove him to, uh, to, to um, work for civil rights and so on. And you can m multiply many examples of that. Jesus himself um, was angry. My remember, he was mainly angry at the religious hypocrites and the in crowd rather than the outcasts. He got but, a bit angry in the temple, didn't oh, he? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus, Jesus was, was, a, was a passionate man. And, and there is a legitimate side to, ang angry, uh, to, to being angry. Um, the Bible even suggests this when it says, uh, be angry but sin not. It seems to imply that you can be angry without sinning because... 
this justified anger can be channeled into some productive activity. God himself is angry at all that would destroy his creation. He, his wrath uh, is expressed against, against wrongdoing, not because he's some bad-tempered, horrible individual, but because he hates that which would destroy that which he loves. A, a, a parent of a teenager hates drug pushing. They're angry at it. Because not because they're bad-tempered individuals, but because they, they 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 are opposed to that which threatens those 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 they love. So there is a justified side of anger. But having said all that, we have to confess that a lot of our anger is really just frustration and not being able mm. to do what we want to do. It's an expression of selfishness. Yeah. Uh, so yes, 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 yes. We can be angry and sit not, of course. But but um, some of our anger is a lot of our anger, I think, is to do with we're held up at the in, by, by traffic. Our kids haven't done what we want them to do. Um, uh, we're frustrated because we haven't got a quick answer from bureaucracy or something like that. And so a lot of that anger is mere frustration. Now, how you do with that? Um, First of all, uh, the questioner has said, I get so guilty. Well, uh, guilt's not going to help you, really, to be honest. I understand the guilt, but no, look, don't wallow in guilt. That's just, just going to gonna even increase your anger. I think the psalmist, I think it's Psalm 4, verse 4, um, talks about, you know, be angry but sin not, and, and, and seems to suggest, and I'm paraphrasing it here, to lie on your bed and reflect. And, and this is the important thing. What is driving your anger? You see, it's not enough for us to say, oh, I, I've got angry again today. Oh, God, please forgive my anger. Um, no, get to the heart. What actually was behind the anger? It's a bit like I heard an illustration of someone saying they want to get rid of all the cobwebs in their house. Well, fair enough, but... I'm sorry, you've got to get rid of the spiders. Um, because if you just get rid of the cobwebs, all you're doing is getting rid of the symptoms. If you want to be rid of cobwebs, you've got to be rid of spiders. If you want to deal truly with your anger, you've got to actually get to the heart of what that anger is. And I think that's what the psalmist is saying. Reflect on your anger. Don't just, um, you know, there's two things we can do about anger which are unhealthy. We can just blow up explosively about it or we can repress it and put it all deep inside and none of that helps. The better thing to do is to say, hmm, I won't just let it all out. Uh, I won't just repress it and deny it. I'll do some serious reflection before God. God, what is it that caused my anger? That angry outburst I had with my son and my daughter the other day, what's behind that? And you may find there's a much deeper issue and that God can bring healing to that deeper issue. So deal not with the symptoms, which may be an outburst of anger or an inner feeling of anger. Use that anger as an opportunity to deal with what's underneath because anger is not what we call a primary emotion. It's a trigger, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Something yeah. deeper. It's an expression of something else. So so, so a, a person may be angry that their 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 son or daughter dropped out of uni, for example, and and you might be understandably disappointed, but real anger. Well, you've got to say, well, what's that trace back to? Is it trace back to my desire to control my child, or my dreams that my child would follow in my academic footsteps, or something like that? So the anger gives you an opportunity to explore a little bit more of what's really going on. So don't lose the opportunity. Ask yourself. Is this legitimate anger? In which case, 
it can be channeled into something creative and good. If it's illegitimate, selfish, impatient, frustrated anger, okay, we ask God to help us deal with the deep causes of it. And, and simply wallowing in guilt won't help. Say to God, God, I'm angry. Please help me show what's behind this anger so that I can wrestle with what's at the heart of it and perhaps bring it to you in repentance or that I can at least better understand who I am and what I am. Anger is often a very interesting warning sign that something's wrong and we can, with the help of the God Spirit, put it right. It's a classic example, David, isn't it, of God wanting to probably teach us a lesson, one of those life lessons. You know, you ask for patience, but you only get patience by maybe dealing with difficult people or, or circumstances. Oh, yes. oh. So I guess with anger, <clears throat> maybe it's an opportunity that God's saying, hey, you know, there's something going on. I want to show it to you. Right. And then, then learning how to deal with it, whether it's... Uh, That's exactly right. You only learn. I mean, it's one of the most dangerous prayers of all to pray. God, teach me self-control or mm. patience because God says, oh, okay. And so we put all sorts of difficult people across your path, which is, which is as you say, fair enough because it's only when we're under pressure like that that we learn what's really going on behind us. Anger will often express one of the more primary emotions such as helplessness, hopelessness or fear or, or maybe even guilt um, anger is 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 a product of something else and if all we're doing is saying i'll bite my tongue i i, I have to control my anger no self-control is a good thing but self-control is not the same as bearing it self-control of anger is saying I'm choosing not to express it in a destructive way. Yeah. So I control my anger, but that doesn't mean that I just push it aside. I'm not going to think about it, bite my tongue or whatever, or exercise a bit of self-discipline. No, I will control it to such a degree that it doesn't do damage to others. And then I look to myself and I say, what's going on here? You're listening to LifeWords Q&A with David Ray, Andrew Morris. Great to have your company. You can submit a question to David. He would be so happy to answer it and dwell on it and think about it. You can email David, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. Subscribe to our podcast at the iTunes store. Just search for LifeWords Q&A. Our final question, David, for today is, Jesus says somewhere that we're to hate our parents. Is he serious? Uh, yes and no, which is a wonderful answer to a lot of questions, isn't it? Yes and no. Um Jesus really did say that, yep, in the context, yep, it's, it's all there. But in the Aramaic, the language that he was using, um, hate doesn't quite mean what it means to us. Um, um, it simply means there to love less. It doesn't mean to have active hatred. It's really what Jesus, I think, is saying is this. Even our deepest and dearest human connections, which may well be our immediate family, come under his overall authority. Mm -hmm. And there's a parallel to that when Jesus says to people who want to follow him, a fellow says, oh, um, I've got to bury my father. Um, and Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. Now, I don't think for one minute Jesus is literally saying, leave the corpse to rot. But burying, your, burying, burying someone was, was way up there on the list of priorities. It, was, it, became, it became so important to the Jew to actually bury someone as quickly as possible that what Jesus is saying to that man was not literally leave the corpse to rot, but think of the most, one of the most important tasks and priorities you've got in your life. Well, guess what? There's an even top, more top priority, follow me. So I'd paraphrase Jesus, and I think it's fair to him to, to paraphrase him this way, um, um, love your parents. Elsewhere, he talks about loving loving your enemies. So if you're going to love your enemies, you've got to love your parents. Mm. So, so yeah, yeah, yes, yes, love your parents. 
but make sure that love of your parents is part of your all-embracing, overarching love of me. In other words, follow me first. And in following me, I will set you free to love your parents, to love your enemies, to, to bury the dead, to do all these things. But I think what Jesus is saying in the context, he's saying, take discipleship seriously. And in order to, as it were, bring it into sharp focus, to really shake you up and to, to, to wake you up to the seriousness of it, let me point out that even the things that you hold deepest and dearest actually are under the overall umbrella of my lordship. I've got no doubt that Jesus loved his family. Uh, we know he loved Mary when he spoke to her on the cross or spoke about her on the cross. Um, but we also note that Jesus actually um, left his family and probably didn't actually please them. We, we sense this from yeah. some of the gospel episodes. So they said, hey, come home, come home to the carpenter shop. And Jesus saying, no, nope, got to be about God's business. And so there can be times when a follower of Jesus might have to, as it were, not please their parents, but in fact go their own way in obedience to Christ. But that does not mean to literally hate them, but it means what Jesus is saying here is that your devotion to your parents, take it so seriously, but may it be part of your overall um, devotion to me. And I think in many ways, yeah, you, you don't want to be blatantly just disrespecting your parents in that sense as well. I mean, you, you could... If you're a young, new Christian, take it to the extreme. Oh, you can. You can. And this would be very unwise. Oh, well, I'm going to follow Jesus rather than you. No, you've got to be very careful about that. Um, uh, it's not a case of snubbing your nose and saying, I'm going to do what Jesus told me. Yeah. Because the first thing I'd say to a person like that is, well, Jesus tells you to love um, people, and that includes your family, and you have yeah. responsibilities to your family. But when it comes to the serious crunch time, um, and I'm, I don't think these, these ha this happens all that often either uh, when it comes to the crunch time to do I please my mother and father or do I please Jesus well if there's a clash I think you please Jesus but in most cases there won't be a clash because in pleasing Jesus you you hope you'll be a better son or daughter mm. to your parents. So I think Jesus is using one of these cases, and I think where he you, you could use the phrase exaggerates. Yeah, it's uh, hyperbole. Yep, yep, yeah, yep, yep. That's right. He is exaggerating in order to make a point. Hate your parents? Well, no. His listeners would have not heard it as what how we would understand as hate, but I think I've still understood it as a very radical. What you mean? You, you mean you mean even my deepest and dearest human relationships are not the most important thing? Jesus says that you're right. They're not the most important thing. But but I think we could put in brackets, but but I'm not trying to tear you away from your parents. Uh, I'm rather trying to make sure there's a hierarchy of priorities and that I am first. And that might sound terribly egocentric, but if Jesus is Lord, he truly is Lord. It's a great device to get our attention. <laughs> Uh, David, thanks so much for joining us again for another LifeWords podcast. Uh, we'll speak to you again very soon. In the meantime, please listen back to our previous episodes. There is around 80 very interesting questions, maybe answers that you don't agree with, but it will get you thinking and get you thinking about who God is, where I am, and where, what I'm doing in, in my life, and how does God interact with me. You can subscribe to the Hope uh, LifeWords Q&A podcast in the iTunes store. Just search for Hope Media Limited. David, thank you again. We'll speak to you soon. Andrew, thank you.